Speak Better Best Books with authors, readers, and other endangered species. I'm your guide, Katerina Valentin. Come and join us. Welcome to this episode of Big Better Best Books podcast. And my guest today is Rodani Devi. And I had to practice even pronouncing her name several times. <laughs> We're on our third time around. She has a beautiful name, but it's not exactly spelled as I would pronounce it. So Rudrani has written a book called Choosing Happiness, and it's her third book that she's written. So we're going to explore that book and some more books before. But I just really wanted to introduce the multitude of things that Rudrani is doing when I read up on her before this podcast. So she's an author. She's a shaman. She's a facilitator. She's a film producer and a singer. Did I miss anything? I have an aromatherapy company as well. I don't think I told you about that. (laughs) Yeah, never a dull moment for me. No, it's it's one of those like multitask artists that does everything. And and I so recognize myself in that too. I, you know, the more I do, the more I seem to get done. So I like that a lot. So could you could you tell me a little bit about this particular book? If we just start there, how did it come about? Like what occurred? What made you choose to write Choosing Happiness? That is such a fabulous question, Katarina, because I really did ask the question. There's actually, there was actually two questions. I went to uh, certified facilitators in Costa Rica last year, and I'm always sitting in the splash zone, the front row. And sometimes, I don't know if I should admit this, but sometimes I'm texting Gary during the class. And I, and I asked him, what would it take for me to write an access consciousness friendly book. And he looked up at me and he winked and then he sent me a text that said, choose bitch. And I went, okay, that's permission. I'm gonna write a book for access. And then I started contemplating it. What would that book look like? And it had been, it was nearly the 10 year anniversary of an event that was um, profound in my life. And I thought the tools of access were, were what helped me come through the other side of it. What would be the contribution uh, that would be most generative in this case, especially to access and to Gary Douglas and to Dr. Dane? And I thought, you know, I'm going to make a book that speaks to those that don't know about access so that those of us in access, when we get bombarded with those questions and we don't know exactly where to go, we can say, you know, I think this little book will help you. And I didn't want it to be intimidating. So I only made it about an hour and a half read. That way it can be like an airplane read. And this way, if they hand it to somebody, it's not this giant, I don't know, 10-pound book where they're going, sure, I'm going to read this. And, um, you know, sticking to the points, being as pragmatic as possible so that when they're reading it, they're going, "Mm, you know what, I think I might want to go to another chapter. So that's what the motivation was. And then the book basically wrote itself. Well, I'm going to start something here. So if you're you know, so if you're listening to this show and you don't really know what access consciousness is, we bring it up a lot on this show. And it's a modality that both me and Radrani are are using in our life to create our lives. And it is created and continuously created, actually, by Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane here, who are both from the U.S. So Radrani was at a, one of our most advanced facilitator trainings where you train how to give classes in this when this occurred, <laughs> when she was given the permission, as she says, to write write a book about access consciousness and yeah i actually it, it is a it is a quick 
read, it kind of gives you a sense of the tools. And I I have another question, but I just wanted to point this out. When I was reading the book before the show, I've been reading it on an airplane, actually, going home from Lyon. And I was reading it on the airplane, and I was gifted this one tool in the very beginning that I had forgotten, that I've known for years, you know, using access consciousness as my modality. I've been using this tool for many years, but I've forgotten it. It was, would an infinite being really choose this? And I was having one of those mornings where things were a little, you know, they were a little wonky. And I looked at that on your page, and I was like, oh, Right. It's as that easy to go from wonkiness to happiness. So it's like the change of the perspective. And a lot of the things in your book that you're describing is your personal journey, it seems like, of changing your perspective, of choosing something different. And, And I would say that the two books you've written before, For the Love of Running and The Soul Survivor, are also from a very personal perspective. Is that correct? That's very, very true. The The first book, it was uh, Soul Survivor, was about the events that happened during the Mumbai terrorist attack in 2008. And I really had a lot of time on my hands because I was in a wheelchair uh, and going through rehab for a little over two years. And I had several people say, you should really write a book about that. And I thought it could be uh, a very vulnerable and yet healing perspective to create a book, there were a lot of people that were asking me questions. And so a friend of mine asked me if I'd be interested in joining her writing group. And um, the very first chapter I came up with, we had to write a chapter a day, was the chapter about the actual event. I started there and then I went back to the beginning and it made it so much easier for me to write the book. And again, wrote it, it wrote itself. You know, now it's a child out in the world doing its thing. (laughs) It's creating its own. Well, I was watching, I haven't read that book yet. Uh, I was watching an interview about it. And one, I would love for you to just quickly, you know, give the listeners, if they've forgotten what occurred in Mumbai, it was 2008, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And then also you said something in this interview that I thought was so right on. You said you lived after this, as you never lived before. So could you talk also about what that meant, what that means for you? Okay, well, I'll start with the event. Um, In 2008, I went to India, Mumbai, Bombay, for a meditation retreat. And I'd been with this organization at that time for 22 years. Just people from all walks of life that we were there, basically, because we all had a common interest in consciousness, at least what our idea of consciousness was. And I'm purposefully saying that for the second question. So um, it was really a a trip I'd been wanting to take for quite a long time, three weeks. And what we did is we visited a lot of ashrams. We did a lot of meditating, of course. And I was trained old school from a guru and would have these amazing expanded states of awareness. Well, we were coming towards the close of our adventures. And um, We had been out at ashrams all day. We had chanted with Brahmin priests, which is unheard of that they let us in. You know, we felt really full and light and all of this. And we get back to the hotel and we had decided we were going to eat at an Italian restaurant. And instead, because it was so late, we decided, oh, we'll just eat in the restaurant. And that's in the lobby. And they they were actually had a table waiting for us. They'd gotten so used to us. We didn't even have to carry our passports with us anymore. And so um, I basically went up to my room, changed into slippers, and all I had was my key and uh, comfortable clothes, my head wrapped, and we sat down for dinner. And I guess I could have been, uh, it could have been 10 minutes, and we heard these popping noises, 
and uh, what was occurring two or three minutes later they came in uh, was a terrorist attack and it was called the Mumbai massacre. Um, it actually happened time-wise at the same time as Thanksgiving was happening in the United States. Hmm. So everyone in the restaurant was killed with the exception of four of us. I'm one of the four survivors. I was shot twice and then my neck was grazed as well. Uh, there were six at our table and there were four of us that survived. Basically, when I heard the gunfire, I just said, everyone get under the table now. Unfortunately, that's uh, you know what? Why we're still here? At least four of us, because it's very hard to angle an AK forty-seven or fifty-six downward because of the kickback. It's like two hundred bullets a minute. So that's the event. Um, I, I did eventually come out of that. It was um, someone dragged me to safety, and it's it's all in my book. If you're interested, um, Amazon uh, Soul Survivor. And then um, the second question. That's a very good question. It was really. I joke about this. I say sometimes that the terrorists did me a favor because yeah. it was really it was, it was really that event in slowing down and losing everything and being willing to lose everything. I mean, I, I almost lost my house. The marriage was over. The relationship with the organization was over because they had a different point of view about it than I did. Learning how to walk again, told I would never walk again. There was a lot that came up and I was at the point now, well, I'm still here. If I lose everything, it doesn't matter at this point. I started to come to um, a realization about what was really important. And I realized that I had been kind of faking it and not even knowing it. In a sense, you know, doing everything I thought I was supposed to do and not really going into the authenticness of who I truly be. And I had remembered in 2003 coming across... Uh, some people in Nashville, because at one point Nashville was an area that access was prominent. And Gary mm. and Dane had done some classes here. I think Dane was still a student. Um, and I had gotten involved with a couple of these classes. And I remembered this crazy long statement that was like two pages long called the clearing statement. And I thought, you know, somewhere in the middle of all this rehab, where is that statement? Well, I'm, I'm one of these organizers. I went to my filing cabinet. Sure enough, there it was labeled a clearing statement. There was a folder. I opened it up. And by this time, you know, you have online and I'm getting online and all of this. And I started just ferociously eating up access and took um, levels one, one, two, uh, foundation and two and three, which is now all foundation um, bars, took bars and just really started jumping into these tools. And that's what I attribute most of my success of pulling myself out of all of that. I knew I could create something different, even though the doctors were saying I wasn't going to walk again. I knew that I could keep my house, even though everybody was telling me you need to file for bankruptcy. You know, I was selling everything. I was selling property. I was, <laughs> I had planned on being retired in another two or three years and that wasn't going to happen now. You know, I was going to have to start over. So um, then I started following the truth of who I was, I suppose is the second answer. I watched that interview and, and I watched your little text about the the events because it, it really is like one of those times where your whole life turns upside down and, and in a certain 180 degrees and then kind of like restarts. And I just wanted to mention really quickly before we go there, if anyone would like to know more about the clearance statement, we've used it now and then in this podcast, we've used it. So, and if you want to know more, it's not as long anymore. It's shortened itself. <laughs> 
down. But if you go to theclearingstatement.com, theclearingstatement.com, and then and Dr. Dane here is one of the founders, explains it quite quickly in a little video of a few minutes, and you can check it out. So in a way, that book, Soul Survivor, which came out of your first the experience you had in Mumbai, this book, in a way, is kind of like a follow-up on that book would that be that's kind of how it, it really is it's almost like you're following my journey chronologically <laughs> because yes. survivor you know it comes out it's on its own this child goes off into the world does its thing and i had a lot of book signings around this and abused women and this type of thing um and then the second book people discovered that i had run the boston marathon in 2011 after being shot in 2008 it should have been impossible Everyone told me I couldn't do it. And my trainer said, you know, if you're willing to do it, I, I'll train you. And even he didn't think I'd finish because <laughs> I didn't train the full amount, which is what I was used to doing. This was my 10th marathon. Yeah. So that literally picks up where the other book ends. I had that one published in 2011. I started writing it in April and was done in, I don't know, I got it done in, I think, October of the same year. And then, you know, 10 years goes by or really seven and a half and then this book comes along and I'm like, I'm not even the, you know, if you want to know who I am not, read those first two books because I'm a completely different being or I'm more me now in this book. And it literally picks up what the journey before those books and after that it kind of explained how I got here. Yeah, no. And what would you say, like, if you would pick one of your favorite tools from, from choosing happiness, what would that be? If you could give the listeners one tool. <laughs> Okay, no. this is my favorite tool. And what's funny about it, because in, in classes, um, no matter what class I'm teaching, it doesn't matter what it is, I always bring up this tool. And at one point, people, my students start taking pictures of me pointing my finger because I always point my finger when, when <laughs> this uh, tool, and that's interesting point of view, I have that point of view. Interesting point of view, you have that point of view. Interesting point of view, I have that point of view, you have that point of view. Which, you know, it literally shakes off all that stuff that keeps you stuck. And if I ever find myself sort of tweaking or pulling a face, in other words, frowning or smiling or whatever, I don't care if it's a positive point of view or a negative point of view. I find that that tool is very helpful in every 10 seconds. I must, I must say that out loud, I don't know, 40 or 50 times a day. Well, when you found yourself in that situation where it seemed like, you know, in the outer circumstances anyway, that you had lost everything, you know, your marriage, your your retirement fund, your house and all of that. Was this one of the tools you used for that? Oh, my gosh, yes. And the other one shortly after, when you'd already mentioned it was, would an infinite being truly choose this? So could you explain that tool a little bit more? How did you use that in this situation, well, like in the trenches, really, when you require tools? How did you use it? It was, Katarina, I got to tell you, it kind of, it really saved my butt many times because there would be this space of, why me? <laughs> why did this happen to me? Why would I choose this? And, you know, I'd go, wait a minute, what an infinite being truly chooses. And then I would go to this place of, well, I must have been really unconscious to make these choices. Okay. I'm not going to make myself wrong about it. What would an infinite being choose here? And I would go to that space and I would expand out to the infinite self that I truly be. And from that energy, space and consciousness and choice, all those things that I thought were problems would melt away. And so, you know, I was like, okay, I want to be this living infinite being. I want to be this walking, talking meditation. So I got myself into that space 
as many times as I could until my body just got so used to it that I did become that walking, talking meditation. And I would laugh sometimes when I would think that something was a problem because I truly know this Katarina, that the universe has got my back. How in the world could I possibly be the walking, talking miracle that I am now if that was not the case, if that was not true for me? Yeah, that is very true. And so when you, um, you have a lot of, like you have the shaman um, tradition with you as well, and you also have a few others, I think. How do you, how do you make it all go together? What do you use? How do you kind of navigate your, your tool reality, if I call it like that, <laughs> your consciousness, your, your toolbox of consciousness that you use? How do you, how do you mix and, and use all it's of it? It's a big toolbox. It's interesting. I, I have to do a shout out to my mother, Celeste, who is my favorite human on the planet. Really beautiful, beautiful woman who's in such allowance of me for never telling me I couldn't do anything. And this lineage of shamanism comes from her family. Her grandmother and great-grandmother both told her that she was going to have this prophetic child, told her what to look for. And she literally journaled this and waited until I was a young adult thinking that I was losing my mind because I'm hearing voices and seeing things and, and this, you know, kinetic reality where I was making things fly across the room and all this and not understanding, thinking there was something wrong about me. And she waited as they had instructed her to, you know, wait until I came to her. And then she brought these books written in Italian. My family's from Italian descent. And she explained to me this lineage how one of my, my great-grandmother used to channel for the Pope automatic writing and that they're in uh, the Vatican and all of this. And she had down names in this book that I had talked about as a child that were coming to me again as an adult. And um, so all this time I'd been hiding all of this. And then she, she didn't make it a wrongness. So I started very slowly, you know, sharing this information and from that space and learning how to follow the energy that's where all these other tools came in. So it's not as if they're all compartmentalized. It's as if one allowed me to consider another, which allowed me to be open to receive another, which allowed me to say, what else is possible here? And so, you know, uh, I ended up creating my essential oil line literally through one of these meditations where I got all this information about these different trees and, and the oils that they produce and the vibration that works for different ailments and how everyone is so unique that if you have three people who get migraines, it's going to be three different oil blends because they created those migraines with very different energies and vibrations. So it was kind of like vibration and energy became my first language and it tied all these things in together. And then with Gary's tools and uh, body processes, along with Dr. Dane's, it was a marriage made in heaven for me. <laughs> Well, it's kind of like you, you truly live in a magical reality where what other people would consider normal, average and real that, that isn't really apply. Like you have that, but you also have all these other, you have access to this whole other world of resources that seems to come to you. And it's quite amazing to listen to. Could you talk a little bit about writing and how that comes to you? you? You've said, I think you've said at least twice now that the book just, after that, the book just came. How does that work? Does it write itself? Or? That, that's a very good question. And, you know, I get asked this question so many times. And so let me try to answer it a different way. I really do see the book as an entity 
that is just floating off in the ethers, you know, and dancing around me and enticing me. And so I have conversations with it. And I ask the book what it would like to see. You know, what contribution can we be? What can I do to contribute to you to make this happen? What is it that the world is looking for right now? How could I make it uh, something that they could receive with absolute and total ease, something that could really shift for them and be something that they've been asking for? And that's when the creative juices really start flowing. And I shut down everything. I shut down the social media. Um, my phone uh, is off. I mean, I literally turn it off. And a lot of times I'll find myself either in my office, which is not like an office at all, <laughs> staring out the window. I mean, I'll have the computer in front of me, staring out the window while I'm typing. I'm not even looking down. And it literally just flows through me. It's not necessarily automatic writing. It's just this ease with the flow, the book and I are having a conversation. And so it just come out, literally, this book was written exactly the way you read it. I went in and tweaked things and, you know, conjugate verbs and all of those things. And I did have a copy editor go through it. But all three books were like that. It was literally having a conversation with this other entity called uh, Choosing Happiness. Well, it's also, you also seem to be using one of the greatest tools that I know, which is really being the question. Yes, you're asking questions, but you're basically being the question, which allows the question to create. The question is create, like the questions you were asking were amazing. The ones you just gave us here on this podcast, what, what can they receive? What can I, what can this be in the world? And those questions then create what actualizes us the book it's beautiful i'm so glad that you reiterated that because this is something that i really you know when i'm talking to people and they say i just can't seem to blah 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 and i'm like well that's not a question is it you say no, the exactly. universe hears i can't and it goes okay i'm going to give you more of what you're asking for you can't do this <laughs> just keep you know and people are like why is my life so upside down well that's not really a question why is my life upside down it's kind of a question it has a question mark after it but it's not going to create anything well, you know. well, it, well it, it has a conclusion in it, of course, because they already decided their life is upside down. So what could my life be like would be a very different, that would actually be a question. That's, But you were being, when you were giving these, those were real questions. And that's what I was noticing, that those were, those were questions because you had no answer. You're asking for an energy of how that can actualize in the world. So that's quite a writing technique that you are now giving out to our listeners. Well, I do it when I'm writing songs as well. I have a, actually have an album coming out shortly, seven uh, new songs that literally, and I almost feel like I'm a completely different person because the energy of those songs you would think were more for the reality that I don't really live in. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like I'm watching TV with this reality because it doesn't seem that real to me. The reality I live in is so much more expansive. So... Well, the, one of my questions was actually, what is the difference for you between expressing yourself in writing and in singing? Well, that's a very good question. Also, um, I've hosted two Talk to the Entities classes because I, uh, I love talking to entities. So, And I know that's going to bring up even more stuff in this. And we could go on for a couple of days about that. <laughs> um, yeah. But I notice sometimes, like, for example, Aretha Franklin. When she passed away, I mean, for 10 seconds, I was very sad because I, this is another one of these artists I wanted to meet, like, like Prince and Michael Jackson, whatever, you know, these brilliant writers, regardless of their lifestyles yeah. and everything else they chose in their lives. And then within 10 seconds, I thought, wait a minute, I can talk to her. I can just tap into the energy of her. And so when I'm singing, a lot of times I'll pull in the energies of the song 
or the energy of if it's a deceased artist, I'll pull that in. If they want to dance or play with me, I ask, you know, would you like to come play with me today? We're going to do a show and I'm actually singing two of your songs. Would you like to come play? And I can literally feel this embodiment happening. And uh, it's almost as if, again, here my body is just animating the songs. And I'll see a video later, you know, on YouTube or whatever, if it gets posted or if I stream it on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, my goddess, who is that person? <laughs> it looks like me. <laughs> and it kind of sounds like me, but there's something different going on there. So that that is actually, so even there, that you could try that even when you're writing, you could pull writers in that could contribute to what you're writing. I mean, that there's an enormous amount of possibilities oh, in this like, capacity of yours. I'm going to make a statement right now that I might get in trouble for, really, but um, I've already planned on the fourth book, and I'm talking to it now, and it's called PTSD and Me. And it's basically at the end of writing this book, and thank God for well, thank the universe for Gary Douglas. Let me put it that way. He's the one that told me to get a good homeopath. And because of that, I got off of all these different things. I was taking migraine meds and birth control and all this stuff that I thought, oh, it's not so bad taking an Advil every now and then. So I got off of all these suppressants. And when that happened, my body was ready to finally get rid of the trauma drama that had been trapped in my body since childhood. And so a very fast paced uh, experience of going through from right when the book was finished through March of this year, actually, of unwinding all of that, being an allowance of my body, right. freaking out. I mean, I would have these fits. I would be stuttering. Um, I was very dizzy. I knew what I wanted to say, but my words weren't correct. And all this time I'd be laughing through it and going, body, you're so funny. What an interesting way. I didn't know this was all cooped up in you. Let, you know, let's, let's do this together. And so I'm on the other side of it now. My doctors are amazed. They don't know how I can't be on depression medications. And, you know, of course, there's the access bars as well that also works with depression and PTSD. And, and I want to put this book together now to show people that there's actually a holistic, natural, healthy way of getting to the other side of trauma drama. If I can do it, they can, they can do it too. And, it, you know, and it's going to wrap in a lot of this access stuff some diet things, all sorts of things. And so I'm interviewing now, getting back to the question of pulling people in, I'm interviewing now the yeah. three holistic doctors that I worked with. I'm doing a lot of reading and research, kind of filling up the computer of my whole body here. And, you know, I, I can perceive it being a very different conversation with this book and pulling in these energies. So I'm very excited about that. sounds that. amazing. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And it actually leads me to, I think, the last question we have time for. How does your, like, your family, the closest people you have around you, how do they react to you writing these books that are so personal and that are about you? Like, are they supportive? Do they get a little provoked by it? What occurs oh, around such, you? That's such a good question. It's been very interesting. And when you say family, family is not necessarily, to me, the people that you grew up with. My, no, family are the closest, like, my you know, people in, in all of this and my, and my students who are my friends and my clients who are my friends, everybody's my friend, you know, they, they rejoice and celebrate with me. And, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. When you come to my actual family or the ones that I chose to grow up with, um, I'm one of six kids. I have two Italian parents. My mother was born in Italy. My father's parents were born in Italy. I grew up speaking Italian and English. And the given name is very Italian. Rudrani was a name I took later. 
which is neither here nor there. I go by by uh, both. But it was very interesting. No one ever talked to me about my first two books and my family, other than my mother. This last Christmas, I had a rough of the book that's now you know, grown up and is out there in the world called Choosing Happiness. And I had the sense that I needed to give them each a copy of it before it was published mm. so that they could digest the information that I was about to share in the world. So, and it even had a different cover on it because at the time I, I had changed my mind about the cover. The book actually wanted a different cover and that's a true story. So um, I gave it to all my siblings and one of my brothers started reading it that evening and he came to my mother holding the book with tears in his eyes and he said, I don't know who she's talking about in this book. I don't recognize this man. And what he was referring to was my father, biological father, who was very abusive to all of us growing up. I ran away from home a number of times, ended up going to college early. I had to make a deal with my guidance counselor and my mother, a deal and deliver per se, you know, that I can't do this anymore. It's killing me. And so that's what sent me off to college at a very young age. And um, I was just in in awe of, you know, interesting point of view that he doesn't remember our childhood. And my mother came to me to tell me this. And she said, all I could think was, is how is he not remembering the beatings with the belt? How is he not remembering that? And all she could say to him was, you know, I'm, I'm a lot younger. I'm the fifth out of six children. And he's eight years older. And she just basically said, well, you were gone. And he was really hard on her. And she found a way to where he could receive it. And now they've all had an opportunity to sit with it, but they still don't talk about it. It's taboo, but they're aware. They're, they're aware now that I am not gonna squander who I am whatsoever. I'm very vulnerable in this book and it's not vulnerability to me, to me at all, actually. It's, it's a, a way I can contribute to others that maybe are afraid to speak up. I don't know. Well, it's a kind of vulnerability that actually gives you the potency to change the world around you. It's the kind of vulnerability that you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You are vulnerable in that way that, you know, like the wind can go straight through you and out on the other side. It's beautiful. Katarina, my body is so. smiling at your words because <laughs> acknowledging that that is very true. I'm not afraid to be who I be anymore at all. And it's actually the gift of me being who I be that's the contribution. I really was squandering before by just doing what I thought everybody wanted or could receive. Yeah. Well, we're going to end there. And I just want, we'd like you to invite people, if they would like to find your books, all three of them, what would be the easiest way for them to find oh, it? It's, well, there's several outlets I've come to discover. Uh, the easiest and the one probably most recognizable is Amazon. Um, Access Consciousness also has a bookstore. You can go to accessconsciousness.com. Barnes and Noble. Um, it's also available as an ebook. Um, and do you have a website? Oh, yes. And my website is rudranidevi.com, R U D R A N I D E V I.com. And also on the website, you'll find information about the essential oils, uh, about my music, the bands I perform <laughs> in, um, about the classes that I teach, about the processes that I do for clients. Um, it's a way to. You yeah, there you find everything that we've talked about. Thank you. And thank you so much. And, and you know, if you would like to know more, please go there and check it out. And if you would like to know more about Big Better Best Books podcast, go and sign up uh, for our emails on bigbetterbestbooks.com website. And 
Ridwani, this was a wonderful conversation. It made me smile too, the whole way through. I'm so grateful for you coming on. Thank you so much for, for the book. And- thank you so much. I had so much fun with you. This was a delightful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.